0: Well, friends, um, as we look at our passage today, the the man in view, truly, he could have been an American legend. He was a bold, daring, and brave general on the field of battle. About that, there is absolutely no doubt. He was instrumental in winning the battle at Saratoga, in the context of the Revolutionary War. The man sacrificed greatly. He suffered terrible injuries for his new country. But then something, something happened to him. He felt cheated by his new nation. He felt passed over. He felt taken for granted. He wanted his due, okay, and he wasn't getting it. He thought to himself... If my own people won't recognize me, perhaps the British will. Perhaps they'll give me the fame, the rank, and the fortune that I so richly deserve. And so he came up with a plan. He came up with a plan to surrender the fort at West Point to the British, giving them a major advantage and coup. But his letter to the British commander was intercepted and instead of gaining fame and glory and rank and reputation, his plan backfired spectacularly. Instead of gaining glory and honor and fame, his name became a synonym for the word or the concept traitor. You know who I'm talking about, Benedict Arnold. His name ultimately became a synonym for being a traitor. Pride indeed goeth before a fall. Well, this morning, we're going to see in Luke chapter 7 that there was a plan that backfired spectacularly, a plan that backfired every bit as much as benedict arnold's plan and i think by the end of the sermon you'll see why that is the case not only did it backfire but it allowed an avenue of unexpected and marvelous grace to shine forward this is a passage that we will all greatly benefit from this morning so please stand for the reading of god's word i'm going to be reading from the NIV this morning if it's a little different than your pew Bible or your ESV Bible that you have with you. This is Luke chapter seven, verses 36 through 50. Remember, beloved, these are the very written words of God. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, Jesus went to the Pharisees' house and he reclined at table a woman in that town who lived a sinful life she learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisees house so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this he said to himself you know if this man were a prophet he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is that is she is a sinner and most commentators view that as kind of a in a mute, euphemistic way she was a woman of the night she was most likely a prostitute Jesus answered him Simon I have something to tell you in other words I'm gonna need to set you straight on this tell me teacher Simon said Jesus responds with a parable. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly correctly. Jesus said, then Jesus turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, But she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests, they began to say to themselves, who is this? who even forgives sins. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Indeed, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever, and may he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. Okay, friends, I have a thesis that I want to present to you. I am... 72.5% convinced of the thesis, but whether or not you agree with every detail of the thesis, it doesn't change the meaning of this narrative at all. Okay, so you need to kind of pay attention and see if you agree with my thesis. Because I would submit to you that this whole thing, this entire dinner with Simon the Pharisee was a setup From beginning to end. From the invitation to Jesus, to this woman in particular coming, and to all the things that happened from Simon's perspective along the way, okay? I submit to you that it was a trap. That this was another form of entrapment for Jesus of Nazareth, not unlike the traps that Pharisees had tried to set for Jesus in other contexts? Can you remember any, any type of entrapment that the Pharisees tried to lead Jesus into? You don't have to respond, but do you know of any? Can you remember? Like in Mark 12, the Pharisees came to Jesus with a question that they perceived that he would get himself in trouble with however he answered. The Pharisees said, is it right to pay tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay me? Should we pay or shouldn't we? And so what they were hoping is that Jesus would entrap himself. How is that a no-win question? From your Bible knowledge. If Jesus said, yes, you have to pay tax to Caesar, um, who would Jesus get in trouble with? Did the Pharisees think if you have to pay tra- tax to Caesar? With the Jews, who did not want to pay tax to Caesar. So he would he would infuriate the Jews and turn them against him. If he said you don't have to pay tax to Caesar, who were they thinking he would get in trouble with? The Romans. And so he a- they asked a trick question to try and entrap Jesus. I submit to you... The same thing is happening here. What had Jesus just done? If this is chronological in the book of Luke, what has happened prior to this? He has raised a child from the dead. His reputation is growing. He is increasing in national prominence. And the Pharisees are growing concerned. So Simon the Pharisee concocts a plan that he thinks has a very good chance of entrapping Jesus and bringing shame and honor and diminishment to Jesus. And that's what he's doing with this dinner, okay? Who here remembers the movie A Few Good Men, okay? I would imagine most of you remember it. Um, if you're a little older like I am, you remember seeing it. Maybe others have seen it on DVR or rented it. It was released in 1992, and long story short, there is this unfortunate death in, in, um, at, the, at the base in Guantanamo, Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. There is this Marine private named Private Santiago who can't keep up with his unit, and he's hopeless. And in the words of this this austere, commanding um, lieutenant colonel, who's like a, a dictator at the base at Guantanamo Bay, you remember his name Colonel what? Jessup, of course. And he's played by whom? I mean, was there ever a better casting than Jack Nicholson as Lieutenant Colonel Jessup? He just... He just exudes authority and intimidation, okay? Long story short, this particular lieutenant colonel has ordered what? See, everyone knows this. This is one of the few movies that I can mention that pretty much everybody knows, okay? Since Netflix has made that not possible, okay? He issued what? A code red. And a code red is where you allow a subordinate officer to perform discipline in your place, to do what needs to be done to get Private Santiago to be a better Marine. Well, it went very bad, this code read. Santiago dies. And so Lieutenant Colonel Jessup is engaging in a cover-up, okay? And so he tells, and there's also, this is great casting, who is the prosecutor? Tom Cruise. And, and even then, then he was actually young. Things hadn't been done to make him look young, but he was <laughs> young at this time, very confident, very thoughtful. What was his name in the movie, Lieutenant? What? Caffey. So he is cross-examining, you know, Colonel Jessup. And this is like one of the most intense scenes ever. And so he's, he, he is trying to entrap Colonel Jessup, which he does masterfully, but among other things, he says, Colonel, so this is Lieutenant Caffey, Tom Cruise, cross-examining Colonel Jessup, you know, Jack Nicholson. So Lieutenant Caffey asked, Colonel, a moment ago you said that you ordered your men that Santiago wasn't to be touched, okay? Jessup said, that's right. Caffey said, and the men, they were clear On what you wanted, Lieutenant Colonel Jessup says what? Crystal. Caffey says, any chance they just forgot about your order? Okay, and Jessup's like, no. In other words, my orders are always followed. No one would forget my order, okay? Simon the Pharisee. Do you think he just forgot to extend to Jesus the customary, courtesies of his day in terms of hospitality? You think he just forgot? If you were a Pharisee in the ancient Near East, if you were a Pharisee in first century Palestine, okay, you knew what was required if you invited someone to dinner as an honored guest. You knew every single detail and protocol, and I'm telling you, hospitality, in the culture in which our passage occurs was far more important than it is in our culture because their culture was very much an honor and shame culture. And you never wanted to lose face in the context of these Eastern cultural situations. Never. You would never insult or embarrass someone in a public setting. So we see in the passage, if you look at verses 44 through 46, I submit to you that Simon the Pharisee did not forget to extend the courtesies of his day. It's not that he was unaware, he was a Pharisee. I love this text because it tells us a lot about their culture. Look at verses 44 through 46. Okay, Jesus said, kind of middle of 44, you, Simon, you did not give me any water for my feet. That was standard. Absolutely standard protocol. Like, that's just like asking if we invited um, the Bennets over or the Libby's over, you know. They come to your house. You open the door to the Libby's and the Bennet's. And I say to the wives, can I get you a drink? and I close the door in the face. I'm sorry, no. <laughs> just kidding. I, you would be treated with the honor you deserve. Um, I'm sorry, that could mean a lot of things. Um, at any rate, you, what would you do? You had people over. You would invite them in. I would say, can I get you a drink? Would you like to sit down? That's just normal. Like, if, if I opened the door, and I was like, oh, It's you, and slam the door in their face. Like, that's just not something that you would do. So here, like, when a guest of honor came to your dinner, if you're a Pharisee, what do you do for their feet in that culture? Either you wash their feet, or you have your servants wash their feet. Standard protocol in these Eastern cultures, okay? Continue on, verse 45. He says, you did not give me a kiss. That was standard. You, as the host, would give a kiss to your guest. If, the, if you were like a servant, you would kiss the feet of someone. If you were like above them, you know, and they're just below you, you might kiss them on the hand. If they were your equal, you would kiss them on the cheek. Standard. Absolutely standard, like us inviting someone in our home and making them feel comfortable. Look at verse 45. You did not give me a kiss. Look at verse 46. You did not put oil on my head. Last time I checked, first century Palestine is hot. It's arid. It's dusty. People didn't have deodorant. People smelled a little bit. So you would wash their feet. You would give them a kiss. You would anoint their head with oil so that they smell good, that they were refreshed, common courtesy. Okay, how is this a trap to not do this for Jesus? Again, I don't think Simon forgot. Jesus is in a no-win situation again. If Jesus doesn't say anything, and he's the honored guest, and yet all of these things are refused, then he's losing face. In the presence of those attending, he's accepting that he's not a teacher on the same level as Simon. He may be not the Messiah. Okay, he's diminished. Or if he responds in anger and outrage, how can you do this? I find this so offensive. Maybe he undermines his credibility that way. I think it's a setup. Second part of this strategy. This was a two-pronged strategy. Okay, what does Simon the Pharisee say in his mind that Jesus detects when Jesus doesn't stop the woman from kissing his feet, from wiping his feet with her tears, from anointing his feet with perfume? What does Jesus read that, that Simon's saying in his heart? What does it say, the text? Read it. If Jesus were a what? A prophet, then what? Then he would know what kind of woman this is, okay? Here's the question. How did the woman ever get in there? Like, for the Pharisees, if you allowed a woman of the night to come in to where you were eating and holding a dinner, it would be ritually unclean. So... Simon the Pharisee's house, don't think of it as like a huge house in Preston Hollow. Even though it would have been a nice house, they were very small. And this was an invitation-only party. There is no way this woman would have been able to, in my view, to get into that room unless she was allowed into the room. And I think she was allowed into the room as a setup to test whether or not Jesus was a prophet. So this was a two-pronged strategy to shame Jesus and bring him dishonor. If he doesn't say anything about the woman, he's not a prophet. If he does, he's contradicting himself because he says the gospel's for sinners. Okay? Guess what? The trap backfired spectacularly in ways that Simon the Pharisee could have not conceived. Look with me at verses 38. The moment the woman. So, why did the woman do exactly what she did? The woman did exactly what she did because she realized that Jesus was being humiliated. She realized that those courtesies were not being extended, and she couldn't stand it. In righteous indignation, she would have to do for Jesus what Simon the Pharisee intentionally omitted because she couldn't help herself. Look with me at verse 38. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began, why was she weeping? Because he was being shamed and dishonored and publicly humiliated. She can't believe this is happening to this this person who brings the good news of the gospel. It says she began to wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair. What was she doing that for? This was the foot washing. She kissed them. She's giving him a kiss, which was the protocol. She's kissing his feet. She is his servant. He is her master in a sense. And then what did she do? She poured perfume on them. She anointed him with oil, which totally exposed Simon, the self-righteous, hypocritical Pharisee. It exposed that he was not the righteous host that he thought he was. He was not the man that he believed himself to be. Look with me at verses 44 through 46. Jesus said to Simon, And the way he asked his question, you would have been able to hear a pin drop. He said, Simon, do you see this woman? Because he's reading Simon's mind. Oh, if he was a prophet, he would not have allowed this woman to do this. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet. She wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman... From the time I entered. See, I think she was already there. From the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. I think the, Simon the Pharisee just allowed her to slip in. Like, he didn't know what she was going to do. But this woman, from the time I entered, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on on my feet three things she did she washed my feet she kissed me she anointed me two people two lost people came to this dinner but only one was found one came lost but realized she was lost and knew that she desperately needed a savior one didn't know that he was lost and therefore he stayed lost and two And to expose Simon the Pharisee, like masterfully, masterfully, he tells a parable. Look at verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? So a denarii was like a day's wage in that context. But, you know, to try to estimate like how this um, currency would, um, would look like according to our like, currency level, um, I think if we put ourselves in this setting, kind of an oppressed and hollow setting, I think... Um, Fifty denari might approximate even thirty or forty thousand dollars. Okay, a lot of money. Five hundred denarii in our context would probably be three hundred to four hundred thousand dollars. So neither of them can pay. Imagine they're a contractor and interest rates have just skyrocketed. They've purchased land to develop and, 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 and they can't pay. They can't pay. One owes $30,000, he he can't pay it, it's forgiven. One owes $300,000 or more. Both are forgiven. Which of these contractors will love him more? The answer is obvious. The one who received greater forgiveness. Beloved, here's the question for all of us. Do we recognize the enormity of our debt before God? Last week, Chris did a masterful job of trying to help us understand that that the grace of God makes us all clean and forgiven even the worst of sins that you think to yourself, God could never forgive this, or maybe you believe that God can forgive this, but you, you feel the guilt every day when you think about what you did or said, that you just like, it just makes you shudder? Why do you think this woman could not contain herself? Why was she weeping before she did anything? Because this, this holy prophet of God preached the grace of God through faith in the Christ. That regardless of what you've done or regardless of what you've said or regardless of what your vocation is, by trusting in me, you will be made clean. In other words, there's hope for you. And so she couldn't contain herself. So Jesus says, You know, he who has been forgiven, what? Loves little. Has anyone been forgiven little, really? That's just a play on words. No one. It's like Jesus said, you know, um, those who are healthy have no need of a physician. Is anyone healthy? No. The irony is, everyone needs a physician. Everyone needs to be forgiven much. And so it's a diagnostic question. We will love Jesus and thank Jesus to the degree we internalize just how much he's forgiven us. Because if your heart was laid bare and my heart was laid bare before everyone in here, you would never speak to me again. You really wouldn't. And if any one of your hearts was laid bare before this congregation, things that you've thought about other people, the way that you've judged other people, the way that you've judged your wife or your husband or your spouse or your parent, the list is infinite. If you realized how dark that was, nothing could stop you from sitting at the feet of the righteous and merciful one and do exactly what she did. Beloved, the grace of God in Christ Jesus transforms. The more you understand how the Holy Spirit has applied the benefits of redemption to your heart and mind, it should change not only how we love God, but how we interact with other people. You know how we should catch ourselves when we judge other people like happens all the time. If we're honest, if we're real, if we're genuine, and we realize that we don't deserve the grace of God, we're being Simon the Pharisee. I mean, we should be the most humble of people, the most grateful of people, because we know what grace is. Grace is is God's graciousness and forgiveness in the face of demerit. Can you believe it? Can you believe that you are forgiven all of your sins, as black as they are, you are forgiven because all of that was put on Jesus Christ? Beloved, he is for, He who is forgiven little loves little, but he who perceives himself and understands that he's forgiven much, what does he do? He loves much. Beloved, may we be that kind of people as we understand more and more the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, when we look at this story and we think who we are, we're actually both. Lord, in our self-righteousness and in our hypocrisy, we are exactly like Simon the Pharisee. We are a it's we are a wicked people in our hearts and if left to ourselves, oh, oh, we would be lost forever. Father, thank you for your, your holy spirit who helps us to understand that we are also exactly like this this prostitute. Holy Spirit of the living God, help us to understand the depth of our sins. Holy Spirit of the living God, help us to know ourselves. Help us to know the way that our besetting sins express themselves. Holy Spirit, make us sensitive. Drive us to the cross. Help us understand the darkness of our hearts so that we would show this kind of love and thanksgiving. Apply the truth of the gospel to our hearts so that we would love Jesus more, his people more, and the lost around us more. Help us to be humble and gracious. Help us to be like this woman of people who just can't believe The grace of God in Christ Jesus extends to people like us. In the matchless name of Jesus we pray, amen and amen.